Hey, San Francisco. We're coming back to see you. Aw, yes. Our second year in a row, we're going to be going to SF Sketchfest. Mm-hmm. I like to think it's the premier comedy festival in the United States. Well, in the world. You think so? Yeah. What about Beijing? Nope. <laughs> it's a it's a close second, but a second. Well, we love San Francisco. We love performing there. Uh, everyone is always so kind to us. And by San Francisco, we mean the entire Bay Area, of course. Yeah. So we will be there doing our thing for a one-time only show mm-hmm. on Sunday, January 15th at 1 p.m. Yeah, it's the rare Sunday afternoon. We're like the NFL of podcasters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Right? That's that's what I've always thought. So uh, all you have to do is go to the uh, SF Sketchfest site, look at the old calendar, and there are tons of great people performing. Oh yeah. So I suggest like just doubling down and getting tickets to all kinds of good shows. For sure. And hurry up and get tickets to ours because they've only been on sale for a week or so, and they're already half sold out. That's right. So please hurry, San Francisco. Please hurry. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there. So this is Stuff You Should Know, the computer addiction episode. Yeah. So computer addiction, as it turns out, is many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to include smartphone addiction in this as computer addiction? Yeah, for sure. Because this was written before there were computers in people's pockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is porn addiction. It is... Online uh, porn. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, is there any other way? There's <laughs> gent. Well, that's like when, uh, remember when poor Fred Willard went to uh, like a, a porno theater and was caught or something oh, not yeah. too long ago yeah and like everybody felt so bad because everyone loves fred willard and it wasn't like some big scandal everyone was just like oh poor fred somebody needs to like explain to him how this is done these days <laughs> like you don't need to leave your house <laughs> how are there even porno theaters left i don't know is it like a kitschy retro vintage kind of thing maybe i would go to one of those okay just as you know just to go look around and be like, hey, nice to meet you. I just wanted to shake your hand. How are no, you doing, everybody? won't be shaking hands, but <laughs> I think it would be interesting. Like, you know, this is what it was like in the 1970s. Sure. You know? On Times Square. All right. I'm going to find me a porno theater. I'm totally going. You know, Georgia <laughs> Theater used to be one. That's how it started out. Really? Uh-huh. In Athens? Yep. Wow. I don't yep. think I knew that. And then God burned it down a few years back because of that. And Dave Matthews built it back up. <laughs> I remember when he used to play there, like, it seemed like every three months. Sure. When, like, I was in school there, mm-hmm. before he was a big deal. Right. I was like, who are these guys? Why is their name always up on that marquee? They said, you'll understand someday. <laughs> I still don't. When is that day coming? Uh, well, now it's not going to if okay. it hasn't yet. <laughs> so, it is porn addiction. It is uh, maybe gambling addiction. Um, Video game addiction? Gaming addiction, for sure. Mm-hmm. Social media addiction, YouTube addiction. Yeah, and all a lot of things wrapped up under this big banner of computer addiction. Right, and everything you just um, mentioned is what's called collectively computer mediated communication. Right, right. Or there's another mm-hmm. subgroup called internet addiction disorder, 
And we should point out right here that none of this, there's some controversy with some of oh, this, yeah. and none of it is officially listed yet still, as far as I can tell. No, there was a, a, a push to get um, computer addiction of some form or another, or at least internet addiction disorder, mm-hmm. um, put into the DSM-5, which they put together a yeah, couple of years back. 2013, I think. The American Psychological Association. Um. But they said no. We should do a show just on that because I the was DSM five. Yeah, well, no, the DSM period because I was looking at the year because I was curious when the next one was due, and then I looked at them throughout time, and I don't think there is, unless I'm wrong, it didn't look like there was any like set like every ten years we're going to put one out. No, I don't know what schedule it's it's on. Maybe no. when enough of the stuff turns out to be bunk. Yeah, they're like, oh, we should probably rewrite this thing. Yeah, maybe so. Like, yeah, homosexuality isn't comparable to insanity any longer. We should probably rewrite the handbook. Right. You know? And I wonder if they make addendums or if it's just like, nope, it's locked until right. the next until one. Until the next one comes out, you're insane because you're gay. Yeah. But then the next day it comes out, it's like, oh, you're cured. <laughs> anyway, so they, they tried to get something like that in the DSM-5 and, and it did not, correct? Apparently, what I saw is that there's a basically a note in there that says, like, we understand that this is a thing that people are researching, so we're going to keep an eye on it, and it just needs more – we need to do more research on it. It's just too misunderstood or not well understood enough to, yeah. to warrant being included at this point. Which is how it should work, like, because sure. all the d- different studies I looked at was <clears> – they're all pretty lame, to be honest. There's a ton of them, though, right? Yeah, but everyone I saw was, and we'll go over them, but it was like, we asked 20 people right. these questions. Right. I saw, I saw others that were legitimate. Um, and there are also apparently a lot of neurological studies as well. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a big controversy, not just in whether, um, you could actually be addicted to computers or if it's just an impulsive, a, a failure to control your impulses. Right. Um, some people say, well, they're just lazy. They just want to sit around in front of a computer all day. That doesn't but make them addicted. Is that what all addiction is, though? Is a failure to control your impulse? No, no. I guess Here's we did our thing. addiction show. I should go back and re-listen. You could, and I think some people make the case that behavioral addictions, which are non-substance right. addictions, right. are failures to control your impulse, right. right? Other groups say, no, it's way off. These behaviors are still releasing dopamine right. in your brain, mm-hmm. um, in which case that it, it it's following the same mechanism of addiction that yeah. heroin or cocaine creates. Right. It's just a behavior. So there's still kind of like a, a little bit of butting heads over that even, yeah. which of course then that means that something as amorphous as internet addiction disorder couldn't possibly be agreed upon at this point. Right. Uh, and you can tell this article's dated too, cause it talks about instant messaging. <laughs> so every time it said that, I just crossed it out and put texting. <laughs> nice. It's kind of the new I am. So one other thing that got me too is I went and looked at this citation. It was written in 2007. And what's scary though is a lot of the stuff he's describing is Came taken true. as like totally normal. <laughs> yeah. And among the general population in the West now. Yeah. You know? It is. Yeah. It is pretty interesting. Um, all right. Well, obviously, if we're talking about the smartphones and computers, laptops, desktops, whatever your device, um, we are talking about basically if you look down the list of of what happens if you are, uh, quote, computer addicted, end quote, 
it, it's basically the same as any alcohol or drug addiction. Um, do you stay on the computer for much longer than intended or not notice, notice the passage of time? You could say that with drugs. Uh, do, <laughs> yeah. do you make conscious efforts to cut back on computer time and repeatedly fail? That's a big one. Big one. Uh, do you think about your computer a lot when you're not using it or constantly look forward to the next opportunity to use it? Drugs that, and alcohol. That is why I don't play video games back uh, in, uh, may I? Oh, really? Yeah. In like 97, 98, whenever the Clone Wars, wasn't that episode one? Who knows? Okay. Well, whatever episode, the one with Jar Jar Binks. Okay. Probably the greatest Star Wars character ever created. <laughs> um, the, the, that video game that came out in association with it, I mm-hmm. found myself like thinking about how to play it better when I wasn't playing it. Oh. And I was what like, what was this on? Com- the PlayStation, I think. Okay. And, uh, I, I was like, this is, this is no way to live. I'm not doing this anymore. So I stopped playing games altogether. Well, they definitely, like, I think anyone who ever played a lot of Tetris had Tetris dreams or would look at the world in some ways as a Tetris grid. Yeah. Um, some games really have a knack for getting into your crawl that way. Like, you know, I've been playing a lot of, uh, I can't even think of the name of it now. Fallout? Fallout 4. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very immersive, you know? Dude, especially now. I mean, like that, that Star Wars game was, a was cruddy. Yeah. Like I, that wasn't the first and only game I'd ever played. I'd played plenty of other games and sure. I could tell you that was not a good game. Yeah. But I still, that, I think that made it even more, it strengthened my resolve even more that like if I was sitting there thinking about how to play this cruddy game better, yeah, um, I should probably just stop playing games altogether. Yeah, so you haven't played any games since? No. Yeah. I don't play a lot. I think I've mentioned this before. I'll usually get every couple of years I'll get one game that's mm-hmm. the best reviewed game and I will play that obsessively for a little while then quit. So I'm sure you have like tracked the progress of games these days and now that we're starting to move into virtual reality, it's like yeah. You're, we're going to be totally lost as yeah. a species. All right. So continuing on how it mirrors drug addiction, um, hiding the extent of your computer use from family and friends. Yeah, that's, that's a big one, too. Totally. Uh, use the computer as an escape when feeling depressed or stressed. Mm, that one to me is kind of like, okay, I don't, I don't see that as a sign of addiction, but this is a Grabster article, so I'll take it as gospel fact. Oh, is this Grabster, too? Yeah. All right. Um, missing events or... Um, failing at non-computer tasks because you're on the computer. Poor job performance, family activities. You miss that family reunion because you're playing Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Jar Jar Binks is Candy Crush <laughs> Bonanza Rodeo. Uh, and then uh, it could lead to things like marital problems, um, negative consequences, getting in trouble at work. Same can be said of alcohol and drugs <laughs> for almost all these. Bryant! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then sadly, there have been cases where uh, computer-addicted or gaming-addicted people have either died or had their children neglected such that they either had health problems or died. And if you look it up, just look up gaming death or game binge death, and uh, there are all kinds of stories. It seems like it seems like Taiwan is, is one of the worst. Taiwan had two... Two people die within two weeks of each other from gaming binges in 2015. Yeah, well, they had three total, and I think all three were in internet cafes even. Yeah. So not even uh, at home where they can't be, you know, disturbed. Right. Like, this is out in public. Yeah, and apparently one guy was laying there for 10 hours before they realized. That's so depressing. Um, 
And one other, I couldn't believe this. One other um, note that I saw in this article was that when the police and the the paramedics came in to retrieve this dead body from the internet cafe, the other people playing didn't even stop. Like they just were basically didn't even pay attention to the fact that a dead body was being removed from the internet cafe. Wow. So there's a book called Death by Video Game, and um, it's actually not new. This is this happened in the 1980s, even. Ever since there have been games, people have played them until they died. And uh, I was just curious about Taiwan, and the author basically says Taiwan in particular um, have these internet cafes, which is a cheap way to get online and stay online. Your thrills. Yeah. So they've got these cafes. There's a lot of smoking going on in there, a lot of caffeine drinking. Um, the humidity in the country is really tough and mm-hmm. basically says all of this adds up to, um, and you know, of course you're not eating well, right. you're not exercising at all. Right. Uh, and all of this adds up to really increased likelihoods of things like blood clots. And, um, cause you think like, how do you literally die from like a 19 hour binge of a video game? Mm-hmm. It's, it's all the other things that go into how you've treated your body really. Right. Uh, neglect essentially. Yeah, I mean, a blood clot makes sense to me. I saw exhaustion. I'm like, what is this, the 1890s? You don't die of exhaustion from sitting around. Maybe you die of the vapors, you know? <laughs> a blood clot, I get. That makes sense. And it does, too, because your legs are sitting there immobilized. Um, so, of course, you could get a blood clot. Pulmonary thrombosis, right? Yeah. Or pulmonary, yeah, pulmonary thrombosis. Not good. Not good at all. Because it travels to your heart or your brain, and all of a sudden... Your World of Warcraft character is just standing there, not doing anything because you're dead. Yeah. Uh, I see what you're saying, though, about this article being written a, a while ago and then comparing it to today because it says uh, even when people do interact with friends, uh, they may become irritable because they're away from their computer. <laughs> and now people aren't away from their computer ever because of the smartphone. And it's just morphed into this thing where it's just accepted that it, it's okay to be having a conversation with someone while they're looking at something else. Right, right. And I mean, the idea that you're sitting there physically with somebody and they're hanging out online with other people. Yeah. Um, and that's who they're actually hanging out with, even though they're physically with you in the room. Yeah, it's weird. But that's become basic. I mean, that's accepted. Yeah. Behavior now. Yeah. Even though it's not hard to step back one degree and say, this is odd. Yeah. And I wonder what the long term, like, we're right in the, the infancy of this thing. We are. Like, what are things going to be like in 50 years? I don't know. Uh, I was in a bar the other night getting some takeout dinner mm-hmm. for the family. Takeout beer? No, no, no. Takeout food. Mm-hmm. Bar restaurant. And um, and I go to this place all the time. I go sit out at the bar, order a drink, order the food, mm-hmm. have my one drink, mm-hmm. get the food to go. Nice. So I'm there for like 25 minutes. Okay. 30 minutes maybe. And I... I used to love going to sitting down in a bar and talking to strangers. Oh yeah. Next to me. Yeah. Striking like a good bar conversation is like, it's the best. Sure. And I sat down. I was between these two dudes. I looked to my left. Guy was staring at his phone. Looked to my right. Guy was staring at his phone. People beside them were staring at their phones. Nobody was talking to each other. So I ended up having a good conversation with the bartender. Well, that's good. Which was fine. How Bukowski-esque of you. Yeah, that's true. But, um, I don't know, man. It just depressed me. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. When you step back and look around at stuff like that, you can make the case that they're still connecting with 
whoever they're yeah. talking to. Who they'd rather be talking to, I guess. Right. And that's actually, I mean, that was one of the things that, that Ed touches on in the negative effects of this is that you, you start to prefer your online friends. Well, I, I mean, the, it, there are, it's entirely possible that your online friends are better friends sure. than the people you're surrounded with in real life, you know? Yeah. So I don't know that that's necessarily a drawback. Right. But there's definitely a case to be made in plenty of studies that suggest that we are growing, ironically, more socially isolated the more connected we become. Yeah, but I also get the feeling that in that bar, if I would have uh, said, hey, man, like, Let's get a conversation going. Of course, I wouldn't do it that awkwardly. <laughs> it would have been. It's a great conversation. Starter. Hello, sir. Would you like to speak with me? Hey, man. Let's get a conversation going. But what should I, we talk about? If I got uh, a conversation going, and these people put their phones away for a minute, mm-hmm. they might be like, "Oh, well, this. You know, I'd rather be talking to this guy." Because a lot of times, I mean, we're assuming people are interacting with friends on social media. Right. They might be watching cat videos or reading uh news sites angry about the election mm-hmm. just feeding into their anger over and over and over oh, yeah um they might be like dude thank you for talking to me and cuz that was so much more pleasurable than like it's sort of the de facto go to of well i have 30 seconds to stand here and wait for the elevator right so let me check my social meds the thing is i don't necessarily agree with you i think that the more we are drawn into our devices to communicate with others, the harder it becomes to talk to somebody yeah. who says, hey, let's get a conversation going. No, 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 I agree. In real life. I agree with that. You know? I think they would, if, if people did it though, they might be surprised and delighted, like, wait, I can still do this. Right. You know? Not me. I find I'm failing at it more and more <laughs> these days. So no. it just makes me feel worse and worse. Come on. So we're getting way into the opinion category and uh, we're right. irking a few people. Let's take a break. All right. are back with facts and figures. Okay. <laughs> so um one of the other things that struck me too Chuck was was that losing losing touch with the people in your physical life in favor of people online that you're friends with. Yeah. You're also in a lot of cases doing way more spectacular things with the people online than you are in your real life like going into simulated combat. You know? Yeah. That's the, you do interesting stuff with the people you're on, in li- online with. Rather than, you know, um. Well, especially if you lead kind of a boring life. Yeah. You know? Right. And that's all subjective, of course. But, um. I don't know. If your life is really boring, everybody can tell. <laughs> um, I saw this ESPN Outside the Lines episode on, uh, this wrestler at University of Michigan, the Wolverines. His name is Marshall Carpenter, and I think he was a twin, if I'm not mistaken. But he would spend eight to 14 hours a day gaming. On his uh, computer, and was done. Like he he washed out of wrestling, quit Michigan, and went to rehab. And like had a guy come into his house every day wow. to rehab him out of it. Uh, and there was a football player too named Quinn Pitcock um, that quit the NFL. He played one season for the Colts uh, because he was playing Call of Duty and only wanted to play Call of Duty. That's 
Wow. It's sad, uh, but it's, it is like, how can that, how can you not call that an addiction? You know? Uh, right. No, it's true. And examples like that are the ones that, that people point to to say, yes, there is such a thing as computer addiction. And it does have pronounced effects, not just on, you know, your NFL career. Yeah. But if you're just an everyday schmo, it can have pronounced effects on your relationships too. Like, for example, um, Yes, you might prefer your online friends who you're playing Call of Duty with mm-hmm. to your wife, but you <laughs> are married to your wife, yeah. and if you neglect or ignore her long enough in favor of your friends for uh, Call of Duty, mm-hmm. um, she may divorce you. Yes. And there's actually, there's never been, from what I've seen, a study that definitively showed it, um, that yes, uh, online time equals higher divorce rates. Right. But I found one that came pretty close. It was a 2014 study that appeared in Computers in Human Behavior, a journal. And it found a 2.18% to a 4.32%. Those those like decimal points let you know it's legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, that, that level rise in divorce rates correlated with a 20% annual increase in Facebook use in a given area in the US, right? Yeah. So every 20% that Facebook increased up to 4% and change um in, it, there was a 4% and change increase in the divorce rate for that area too. Yeah. It's entirely possible the two had nothing to do with one another. Mm-hmm. It's also entirely possible that yeah, it it totally did. Yeah, but then there are people that say that um the people that say that well, it's no different than sitting down and watching TV every night for four or five hours. Well, you can be addicted to television too, I think. Sure. Um, but I, I think the internet is a bit more immersive than TV. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, especially because you, you don't interact with the TV the way you do online usually. Right. Unless you're Elvis and Bob Goulet's on TV and you is interact with it with your handgun. Was it Bob Goulet? It used to drive him berserk <laughs> when Bob Goulet was really? on TV. Yeah. Oh man, Will Ferrell, the Bob Goulet thing was so great. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, I didn't know who was on TV when Elvis shot it. Bob Goulet. And sometimes he would just be like, it, the TV wasn't enough. He'd shoot his toaster or the dishwasher. Really? Yeah. I'm Robert Goulet because he would see Goulet everywhere. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Elvis was on a lot of drugs. Yeah, but they were legal. God bless my grandmother. God rest her soul. She, you know, they were from Memphis and it was always like, Oh, Elvis, you know, he was still Memphis's son. Like all oh, his doctors, they had him going every which way. Yeah. Well, his doctors doctor. killed him. <laughs> right. uh, he was a big, big fat junkie. He loved his drugs. <laughs> I don't want to like be the one to break it to you. So I never did. I just let her think that. What's funny is the horribly ironic, um, but also hysterically ironic thing that he hated drug dealers. Like he would get wasted on prescription drugs yeah. and get so worked up thinking about drug dealers living in his town yeah, that yeah. he'd want to go shoot them and his boys would have to like restrain him and, and calm him down uh-huh. so he didn't oh, go oh, out and oh, shoot some else. drug dealers. <laughs> Sit down, dear. Put this under your tongue. Come on, Biggie. <laughs> Sit back down. Well, didn't he... Wasn't he like an honorary DEA guy from Nixon? He tried or to did be. I, make that up? I think they no. There's that famous picture of him yeah, shaking yeah. hands with Nixon. He got that that meeting arranged. Uh-huh. Nixon didn't want it to happen because he's like, "This is preposterous. I'm not going to make this guy a DEA agent." Yeah. But uh, Elvis was offering himself as a 
DEA undercover agent because he he could get close to the hippies and all that. Um, and Which Nixon he was like, Here, here's your junior badge. There's anything I can do, just let me know, man. Right. <laughs> uh, there's a movie out about that now that I want to see, the Elvis and Nixon meeting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Um, all right, so back to addiction. I was um, not expecting Richard Nixon to make an appearance in this one. I wasn't either. Uh, I did find one study. Uh, this is Dr. Susan Muller at the University of Maryland. Go Terps. She asked 200 students to abstain from all media for 24 hours. Called it 24 hours unplugged. Had a colon in there even. There's like a lot of that too. There's yeah. like camps in Japan. They have fasting camps, they call them, where like you're, oh, just, really? you're just away from anything technological or connected. See, that's great. Yeah, I, I don't think it's great if you're one of the poor teenagers whose parents put you <laughs> in there. I bet at the end of the week, though, you get these great stories about how, like, I hated it going in, but, you know, I made these new friends, and mm-hmm. and then there are probably some that are like, this was the worst experience <laughs> right. of my life. Yeah. Uh, but she basically just had these kids, these students, describe things and what it was like. It wasn't super scientific, but um, all of them said that they were – could not function without it. And they, across the board, all 200, like there wasn't a single person that said like, oh, that was nice. All of them were like, this was one of the worst 24-hour periods of my life wow. lately. Wow. Uh, but then you also make the argument like, this is how we communicate these days. This is how we get our news. Right. This is how we communicate through work. Yeah. Uh, like you can't just take away everything like that and say, all right, now relearn everything you know. And over this 24-hour period. Or keep up in modern society. Yeah, so it wasn't the most fair thing to do. It, it, it seems like drawing it out over time might have been more useful than 24 hours or something. But And it also raises another point of contention as far as determining what constitutes computer addiction. Um, the computer is not an inherently... Um, useless or evil thing, right? Like yeah. Egg compares it to heroin. Like you, you're, you could legitimately sit around and use a computer for 10 hours in a day in a very useful manner. Yeah, you got a deadline for work or something? Sure. Yeah. Um, you sit around and shoot heroin for 10 hours, you're not accomplishing anything. You can right. point to that and be like, no, that's not, that's not objectively good in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Right? Um, with a computer, you can be like, well, yeah, you could be sitting there playing Candy Crush for 10 hours straight, or you could be, um, researching new things or learning a new language or getting work done or whatever. Yeah. So it's not like you can point to, yes, if someone sits down at a computer for 10 straight hours, they're a computer addict. Right. It, the whole, it muddies the whole thing, the usefulness of the computer and the ubiquity and necessity of using a computer for long stretches muddies the, the whole definition of what constitutes computer addiction. Well, yeah, and while they have determined and actually shown in the – the the brain scans that it actually lights up areas similar to drug addiction and reward centers it doesn't render those uh brain centers useless like when you do the heroin the heroin which is kind of you know another way of saying what you were saying when you ride the horse is that what they call it i think that's what they call it in the 70s oh it's chasing the dragon or is that something else no that's that too oh okay yeah, there's this great MST3K episode, an early one with Joel, and they were like injecting a monkey with something. Uh And one of them, I don't remember who said it, they go, yes, sir, a little horse for a little monkey. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Uh, should we take another break? Yeah. All right. We'll come back and we'll talk specifically about um, social media addiction right after this. All right, social meads, as Hodgman calls it. Well, he ended up calling it so meads by the so, end of it, remember? So, so meads. <laughs> Guy's um, clever. It is uh, a new, brand new world with social media. And I think a lot of the online addiction now is centered around studying things like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Right. App addiction, I guess, is probably a better way to put it. Yeah, it's a good point. So they've been studying it for a little while. In 2012, uh, some researchers from University of Bergen did a study where they looked at Facebook dependency, and they said that the very nature of the site is problematic in that uh, they found that the brain, the parts of the brain associated with preservation of the social reputation are what's at play there. Oh, I believe that. And... Um, Basically, and this stuff that you sent me, and I found other stuff too, the, the very way that those sites are structured are to get you addicted to them. Yeah, yeah. So there's this whole thing. Um, there's basically, it's called behavioral design. There's a guy named B.J. Fogg who's a experimental psychologist slash computer scientist. And he runs a, uh, a what's called the Persuasive Technology Lab at Stanford. Yeah. And this guy's like a guru, a god out there. Um who basically has taken this concept that, yes, you can have a great idea. Yes, you can have a killer app. Yes, you can um, have wonderful technology, but it doesn't amount to anything unless you get somebody to use it and to use it a lot right. to make a habit out of using it. And there's this basically – there's a push right now to make technology – purposefully as addictive as possible, literally addictive. And we're at a point right now with the way the apps are designed where cigarettes were back in like the 70s when they started adding things like ammonia mm-hmm. and sugar to increase the um, the amount of effect that nicotine had on the brain right. to make them more addictive. That's the point we're at with the apps that are being created, and it's all based on how they're designed. Yeah, this um this one researcher called uh N I R near Eyal, E Y A L, great name. Yeah. Um wrote a book called Hooked Colon, How to Build Habit Forming Products. Um basically said it starts with this trigger and the hook, which is in the case of social media and Facebook, is lonely uh loneliness, boredom, or stress. Okay. So that's the hook that they get you with. Are you bored? Are you standing there at the elevator for a minute? Hey, it's so sad, but it's check out your Facebook feed. Are you standing in line at the grocery store? Don't talk to the nice lady next to you. Ignore that little kid making cute faces. She didn't want to talk to you anyway. (laughs) So you're bored and that's how they get you going. That's how they get you hooked to begin with that initial little trigger. Okay. But then it goes from there. So, so I think that, I think boredom would constitute a motivation. Yeah. That would motivate you, right? Yes. The trigger is something like um, if you open up Facebook and there's the news feed and there's like all these different stories or your friends like something. Sure. And so you are um, activated to 
you're motivated by boredom to go seek out the news feed. The news feed itself are, are triggers that you click and then all of a sudden you are immersed in your Facebook app. Yes. And Fogg's actually come up with this kind of shorthand formula for it. It's, um, B equals M-A-T. So behavior, the behavior that you're after, which is interacting with Facebook, is yeah. what Facebook wants you to do. Um, it's where motivation, so you're motivated by boredom. Ability, it's very easy to open up the app on your phone. You're able to. Mm-hmm. Low-hanging fruit yep. is what we call it. Yeah. Um, and a trigger all come together. So the trigger, say, is the news feed. The ability is just opening up the Facebook app, and then the motivation is boredom. Yeah. But there are plenty of other motivations. There's plenty of other abilities. There's plenty of other triggers. And what they found out is that the key seems to be ability, where if you make it as easy as possible for a person to do something, they're likely to do it. And once they do it, you can start getting them to do it over and over. Yeah. So a behavior becomes a habit. Yeah. That's the key. That's the point. That's what they're after. And that's how they're designing apps these days to make it habitual. Yeah. Well, the Facebook in particular, like it's no accident that the, um, what's it called? Not the alert, but the notification uh-huh. is in, in red. Um, that's a color that they found draws like a more immediate reaction and response. That's right. why a stop sign is red. Yeah. Um, that's why a red light is red. That's why the Facebook alerts are red. Sure. So, that's why I'm red when I'm mad. <laughs> uh, this other guy, um, oh, what's his first name? Something Harris. Uh, this is sort of the depressing part. He says, you might say to yourself, it's my responsibility to exert self-control when it comes to things like getting on Facebook. Right. Uh, he said, but that's not acknowledging the fact that there are a thousand people on the other side of that screen whose job it is to break down whatever responsibility you can maintain. Yeah, which is... I mean, that's just dead on. And this guy knows. His name's Tristan Harris. Yeah. He actually spent time under studying under B.J. Fogg, and he's kind of gone the opposite way. Um, he's saying, hey, we actually um, are doing something kind of nefarious here. We should really kind of cool it with the behavioral stuff. So he's kind of launched a uh, a push for people to rely on technology less or to resist oh, interesting. the use of technology in their lives more. Yeah. Like to basically, there's, I mean, there, some of it comes up in this article by Ed too, um, like doing things like setting alarms, uh-huh. and when the alarm goes off, your computer's off. Right, you just turn it off. Yeah, um, or just allotting certain parts of the day to um, using your computer, your right. phone. But I mean, that may have worked in 2007. It's just getting harder and harder today, like we were saying before. Uh, have you ever been on LinkedIn? Yeah, I've got like uh, an oh, account. Yeah. It's totally neglected. Like all LinkedIn accounts. <laughs> yeah. No, some people are super into it. I think. Well, I get. In, by the way, people, I'm not on LinkedIn. Never have been. Nothing against it. Don't even fully understand what it is. But I don't need any more LinkedIn invites. Gotcha. Because I'm not on it. Yeah. I get them all the time. Yeah. Uh, but when LinkedIn launched, um, apparently they had a hub and spoke icon to represent visually what your network was, how big it was. Right. And they said that that was a very intentional thing when you look at it, that trigger to say, like, well, look at my wheel. Right. It's lame. Yeah. I can't have people seeing my wheel like that. Yeah, I can't. So I got to connect, connect, connect to people. Yeah, like Fogg says, he's like, uh, yeah, people couldn't think have pe- people thinking they were losers. Yeah. So, yeah, they started using the site like crazy. Well, I'm surprised. I mean, Facebook says how many friends you have. I'm kind of surprised that's not featured a little more prominently. Yeah. Like, you know, and 
or even represented in terms of popularity. I'm quite sure that they studied that extensively and found that it actually led to a reduction off? in Facebook. So they, they, yeah. they, I guarantee that that's no accident. That wasn't, yeah, that wasn't something they overlooked. Yeah. Cause it seems obvious that they would be like, you would click on someone's profile and it would be like, this is so and so. They're super popular. Right. You know, he's a, he's a hero. You're a zero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then sadly, I'm not on, um, Snapchat at all, but um, dude, using <laughs> Snapchat is one of the most difficult things you could ever try to do. Well, they said in here they said that Facebook's um, behavioral design makes like it's cute compared to what Snapchat is doing. Yeah, like Facebook, if you send someone a um, a note, right, do you get a, a, some sort of alert when they read your note? Yeah, well, not an alert, but you can see like a little check mark, like so and so read okay. this at this time. So that sets it up for a social obligation for the person who received the note to yeah. respond because they know that you know that they've read it now. Well, yeah, or you see it as they've, you know, like they saw this thing three days ago. Right. So they haven't responded. That motivates a behavior. Yes. That's, that's built in design. Snapchat has a feature that displays how many days in a row two people have snapped each other. And then actually does reward you with like emojis and things. Right. People love gamification. Yeah. That's basically what it is. Right. Yeah. So they said what Facebook doing is just like uh, kids play compared to what they're trying to do with Snapchat and other apps in the future. Right. This, uh, this, it's, uh, I think an Atlantic article that, that, that pulls from, um, they were saying that there's reports of people who are on these Snapchat streaks. Of like so, X number of consecutive days, they don't want to break their streak. Right. So if they know they're going to be away from their device or whatever, they'll give their password and login to a friend, have uh-huh. them Snapchat the other friend, so that the streak will be unbroken. Which I mean, if you step back and, and there's plenty of people who are like, so who cares? It's fine. Yeah. This is the way the world is now. Yeah. Some some teenagers are Snapchatting each other. So that they can get emojis. Is that really that wrong? And that's a legitimate response. And that is, I mean, that is. At the same time, though, I really feel like there's there's a lot of shirking of responsibility for taking the human species in a certain direction without the human species being largely aware of it. Well, see, that's where... That's exactly crystallizes my problem with it. It's not that, sure, that is sort of the world now and that's what people do, but it's the fact that we're being manipulated into doing so yeah. behind the scenes. Sure. When they have those meetings and they're like, hey, what if the Facebook feed, what if they auto-played these videos? So before you know it, you're watching a video that you didn't even want to watch and then you're watching another one. Right. Like, so let's put in the auto-play feature. Uh, and they call it, Harris called it the bottomless bowl that infinite stream mm-hmm. that you get sucked into uh, because they found uh, there was a study where people eat 73% more soup out of a self-refilling bowl <laughs> than a would... regular bowl without even realizing they've eaten more. I want to see that bowl. They just keep, I do too. <laughs> you just keep eating the soup. And that's essentially what they're doing on Facebook and your other social media, social media feeds. <laughs> so means is, um, is, you get sucked in before you know it, and then a half hour has gone by. Right. Like, you rationalize yourself like, you know, I can just go check um, a center friend request or a message. Just, it'll take two seconds. Let me just check and see if they responded. Right. 25 minutes later, they found, is 25 minutes is the average time that you it takes you to get back to what you were doing because you get distracted because of that feed. You know, I've never been more aware of how often I check Twitter 
than I was when I was checking Twitter while I was researching this article. Oh, really? Just <laughs> nothing to do with anything. Uh, randomly, I'd just go open up Twitter and look. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. No change. Nothing we're seeing. It, it's, it is bizarre, the, the habits you can form from it. So what do you do, Chuck, if you want out besides having to completely fast or unplug or whatever? Well, like you were talking about, the... If you are, if I should say, if rules. you are a bona fide computer addict, oh, well, I mean, you can go through a legit twelve-step program. Yeah, like you can go through rehab. There are people out there doing that, right? So if you feel like you need that, or your someone in your family needs that, like have an intervention. Yeah, like these cases where I was talking about, like this wrestler, if you're gaming fourteen hours a day, your life is suffering. In some ways, in many ways. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's just no way of getting around it. No, there's not. Cause again, like, you're not getting exercise. You're not eating right. You're creating, um, uh, uh, blood clots in your legs. Yeah. You're, um, you're not hanging out with the people who you're physically around with. Of course there's problems. Um, you could also, uh, oh, uh this one was good. I thought you can put a, the computer in the high traffic area of the house. That is a good one. Yeah. Instead of being up there in your bedroom in the closet. Yeah. Looking like that guy clothes. from Reefer Madness. <laughs> yeah. Sit out in the open where someone might distract you into a human interaction. <laughs> right. Or be able to keep tabs on, like, uh, yeah. you've been at the computer for six hours now. What's your problem? Yeah. Oh, I'm working. Oh, okay. We'll keep going. Yeah. And I mean, I find that our lives are, and I'm sure you're the same way. They're busy enough to where, I mean, I don't have time to do that. What six hours at the at the yeah, computer? Six and eight hours of of funning. Oh yeah, like no. we do our research and our work right. online. Yeah. but like I can't play Fallout for eight hours. Yeah, you know, no, I have responsibilities. Yeah, you do. But the fewer responsibilities you have, I guess the more prone you are. I think there was. Uh, yeah, if you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you're toast when it comes to gaming. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um. It says here that in a 2012 study, uh, people who are more anxious and socially insecure appreciate the easy ways to communicate via the social meds. Uh, but on the other hand, people who are more organized and ambitious were at a decreased risk of tech-related addiction uh, and would just use it, you know, use it right, for the things they need it for. Yeah, I'd say that characterizes me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a tool. Except Aside for from checking Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> What else, man? You got anything else? I got one more thing. I just saw this good um, article. Well, it was an article. It was a research paper. Internet addiction, colon, a brief summary of research and practice from Hillary Cash, uh, Lizette Ray, Anne Steele, and Alexander Winkler. Um, and I just read the summation, but it's interesting. They said, uh, from our practical perspective, the different types of IAD, that's the Internet Addiction Disorder. Right. Uh, they fit into one category due to various, uh, internet specific commonalities. So you talk about porn addiction or gaming addiction or any of these various addictions, except probably social media in some ways, uh, cause anonymity and riskless interaction are two of them. Uh, and then commonalities in the underlying behavior, which is avoidance, fear, pleasure, and entertainment. And then the overlapping systems, I'm sorry, symptoms, increased amount of time spent online and preoccupation and other signs of addiction. But in the end, they say, you know, more research, more research, more research. Yeah. 
That's what we need. Which, I mean, of course it's coming. Like, this is probably the premier addiction of the 21st century. The thing is, we seem to be looking at it as less and less of an addiction and more and more of normal life. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe there will be less study of it. I'm just going to encourage people to, you don't have to go out and, and give up everything, but just... Try to spend a little more time talking to people. Yeah, just, just go a little. up to somebody and say, "Hey, make conversation <laughs> with me." Just a little bit here and there. Just and, and that was, or let's get a conversation going. <laughs> Pepper it into your life here and there, and see if it uh, does not provide reward. Yeah, another good one that I found at least makes you cognizant of it is when you are standing there waiting for that elevator or whatever, and you go to like, grab your phone, just think mm-hmm. and stop yourself. Yeah. At least do it to just poke yourself for fun. Think of it as a gun. Yeah, and you're going to get tackled <laughs> for waving it around in public. Tackled yeah, the, at best. I've tried to do some of this lately, too, where I do just start talking to people, and it freaks people out a little bit these days. Yeah. Whereas it definitely, I don't remember it freaking people out like when I was in college. Yeah, I think you're people right, just man. talk to people. Yeah, it's definitely changed. And now it's like, what, what do you want? Why are you talking to me? If you wanted to talk to somebody who wasn't around, you had to go to a payphone back in your day. Yeah. You know? They still have those. I see them from time to time. They're neat. It's like being in a living museum. <laughs> it is. Uh, well, I don't think either one of us have anything else. Instead, we're going to suggest that you go on to HowStuffWorks.com, type in a search bar, Computer Addiction, if you want to know more about this. Um, there's plenty of other stuff you can look up, too. Uh, and since I said search bar in there somewhere, it's time for Listener Mail. Uh, yeah, and hey, sorry if it was a little soapboxy on that one. I didn't want to get too soapboxy, but I kind of miss folks talking to folks, you know? I'll talk to you. All right. You just tap me on the shoulder. Uh, all right, I'm going to call this uh, Syntax um, Beef. Hey, guys, small issue I had with the Syntax episode. In discussing the colonial American reaction to levies, like the sugar tax, you dismiss the purpose of the tax as making the king richer. Uh, it is a common misconception that the taxes were imposed on the colonies arbitrarily, and this was certainly the patriot narrative used to support independence. Go Pats. But in fact... The taxes were levied to cover the cost of the devastating French and Indian War, which the colony survived only due to the British Army's resistance. Uh, revisionist history nowadays tends to focus on the without representation part of the no taxation request, as well as the effects of other laws, such as forbidding settlement in the Appalachian regions and restriction of trade rather than taxes alone. But I want to clear it up because portraying King George V as greedy ignores legitimate political motives on the part of the British Empire which are often ignored in the revolutionary narrative. Did this email come from the UK? No, Oklahoma. Uh, okay. Okay. Sure, right. So close. I <laughs> uh, love the show. Keep up the good work, guys. Sincerely, Thomas from Oklahoma. Thanks a lot, Thomas. Good nice point. one. Thanks yeah. for setting us straight. Um, yeah, I think we kind of just did the nickel sketch of the king. I think it's pretty easy to fall into that trap. Sure. Yeah. That's what they teach us in school. Exactly. You want to get pushed around by the king of England? No. I saw Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> that guy was a jerk. Schoolhouse Rock? With Jack Black? No, that was School of Rock. Oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, if you want to get in touch with me or Chuck, you can hang out with me on Twitter at Josh M. Clark. You can also look us up at SYSK Podcast. You can hang out with Chuck on Facebook at Charles W. Chuck Bryant or at Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, hang out with us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 